This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is economist John Williams. John has the website shadowstats.com, and John's work is in tracking economic data using methods that the government used to use. So, for example, John tracks the real inflation rate, the real growth in the economy, and uh, John is going to talk to us today about his prediction that uh, the United States will likely, at some point here in the near future, go into a highly inflationary environment. He's also going to talk to you a bit about uh, what he's suggesting. So you won't want to miss that conversation. That's in segments two and three today. Also, again this week, because we did have terrific response last week, we want to make available to any listeners that would like to get it our December client newsletter. It is titled Capitalizing on Uncertainty. And we talk about a lot of the uncertainty. There's certainly no shortage of that that exists in today's world. And we focus primarily on what that's going to mean for you and your money. We also give you our forecast for where we believe uh, markets may be headed in 2021 and what you should think about doing now. So if you'd like to get a copy of that uh, report titled Capitalizing on Uncertainty. All you need to do is go to requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com, and just let us know where to mail your report, and we'll be glad to get you a complimentary copy. Also, if you have not yet downloaded the Your RLA app, it's coming soon to the Apple Store, and it's coming soon to the Google App Store as well. Uh, for the time being, you can download it at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That will get you access for free to our weekly newsletter, our weekly market update webinar, as well as the podcast version of the radio program. So you can go to the website uh, in the meantime to get that app, or you can get that information at the website. That is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. So let's talk about the obvious. As we go into 2021, regardless of all the other variables that may be playing out presently, the one thing that we can be reasonably certain will not change is that money will continue to be created by the Fed. Now, history teaches us that money printing always ends badly and as we near the end of this cycle, as we near the end of the ability to create money without significantly ugly consequences, and I'll talk to John Williams more about that in the next segment, money printing occurs in exponentially greater amounts. So in other words, money printing leads to more money printing, which leads to more and more money printing. Now, it's important to understand why money printing occurs, why money creation occurs? Well, primarily it's because governments overspend. Now, governments overspending is nothing new, but as long as the government is reasonably creditworthy and the overspending is within what is considered to be generally, generally reasonable, the overspending government will likely be able to sell bonds to investors 
who are willing to help the government finance its deficit spending in return for collecting some interest. Now, when governments sell bonds, essentially what they're doing is taking loans. Now, as this process continues, chronic perpetual overspending in greater and greater amounts leads to money creation in greater amounts, and at a certain point, investors become skeptical of the government's ability to repay the loan. Let me tell you that I believe we are there. Peter Schiff, past guest here on the RLA radio program, reported this in a piece that he wrote last week. In the third quarter of this year, in the third quarter of this year, China and Japan, which have been the biggest buyers of U.S. debt, of U.S. government bonds in recent years, didn't do too much. Japan did buy some government bonds. They bought $15 billion worth in the third quarter. That's $15 billion with a B. China, on the other hand, sold off $13 billion in U.S. Treasuries in the third quarter. China has sold off about $40 billion in U.S. debt this year. So with Japan buying $15 billion and China selling $13 billion, that's almost a wash. It's within $2 billion of a wash. So the question is, where did the government get the money to spend that it didn't have? Well, the answer is the Federal Reserve. While China and Japan were pretty much holding pat, the Fed bought $240 billion in U.S. Treasuries in the third quarter. Total Treasury holdings by the Fed, if you look at all the outstanding government debt, the Fed owned 9.3% of all outstanding debt at the beginning of the year. The Fed now owns 16.5%. China and Japan... To use a poker term, they're checking. They're not playing. So it appears that we may be near the end of the road. And if you want to know how things might change, if you want to know what you might consider doing with your IRA and your 401k amidst all this uncertainty, I would encourage you to get our December newsletter. If you're a client, you'll get it automatically. However, uh, if you would like to request a copy of the newsletter titled Capitalizing on Uncertainty. Just go to requestyourreport.com. We'll be glad to mail you a copy, and we'll do that at no cost. Again, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with Mr. John Williams. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I am very pleased to have back on the program today uh, Mr. John Williams. John has to be the hardest-working economist that I think I uh, interview. His website is Shadow Government Statistics. You can find his work at www.shadowstats.com. That's shadowstats.com. There is a lot of free information there. 
but uh, John's newsletter uh, is one that I read as soon as I get it, and I'd encourage you to check that out as well. So, John, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, Dennis. So, John, uh, the, the last time you were on the program, which has been about four months ago or so, um, you were forecasting that uh, the United States would uh, be moving uh, into a hyperinflationary environment. So has anything transpired in the last four months to alter your opinion, or have you just become more convicted in your opinion? Well, I think we're still on uh, on uh, on the road to um, a hyperinflation, and uh, in in combination with that, a uh, uh, an economic collapse. We've had a uh, we had a terrible economic collapse, uh, a direct result of the uh, pandemic-driven shutdown in the uh, second quarter, um, and you had a had a five percent contraction in the headline GDP in the first quarter and. And you're down uh, oh, order of magnitude uh, 32 percent uh, second quarter, and then you bounced back uh, uh, 31 percent in the uh, third quarter. But when you drop 30 percent, or in this case with the, you know, the first quarter decline as well, but if you drop 30 percent, then rally back 30 percent, you're not even because you're growing off a, a much lower level than um, <clears throat> than you were at before. And uh, right now, if the fourth quarter, uh, which is not looking too good at the moment, if the fourth quarter were to uh, uh, bring you back to uh, par with where you were before the pandemic, you'd have to see annualized uh, quarterly growth of, uh, this is adjusted for inflation, of about 15%, which uh, aside from the uh, extraordinary uh, bounce back in the third quarter, because you, you, you just clobbered there with a shutdown, and then you had some some bounce uh, bounce off bottom, you know, you know the biggest uh, quarterly decline ever uh, decline, and and then the biggest quarterly gain ever seen. Um, th- those are extraordinarily and unusual circumstances, and uh, but you'd still need something that would uh, as rarely been seen to to get us uh, even by the end of the year. That's not going to happen. I think you'll see that the uh, in fact, the economy is going to slow uh, very markedly in the fourth quarter. We just had uh, uh, the last uh, uh, last week or so, for example, we had a, uh, a, an estimate on October employment numbers and unemployment. Um, what you saw there was that the uh, uh, headline uh, uh, jobs, the the the, um, the payroll employment, as they refer to it. Uh, had been improving some, but it was still down year to year by six percentage points from where it had been. Uh, again, that's the, the year before. But that, that's that's an extraordinarily sharp year to year decline. I, it, it, again, this is we're, we're seeing all sorts of wild historic numbers because of the extreme volatility here. But where that had been, that had been that uh, decline had been narrowing. It leveled off in uh, with the uh, uh, October numbers, so that you had, uh, excuse me, the November numbers, October and November were, were both down year to year, six uh, percent, and that what what that's showing you is that we're seeing a stall in the economic recovery. Um, that's uh, got a number of factors behind it. Uh, there's some blame uh, given by uh, supposed intensification of the uh, 
the, the COVID cases. Um, but with all the good news that you've had in terms of uh, uh, vaccines and new treatments, uh, and the markets have responded, oh, boy, you know, we're going to we're going to get back to normal in the year ahead. Uh, there, there's a little problem there, and that is that the collapse and what we've suffered and where we still are uh, has uh, done very severe structural damage to the to the broad economy and and to uh, the, the population and uh, the broad segments of the population in, in general. You have locally a number of uh, places that uh, have closed down for good. I mean that, that's a common. That's a common experience. Uh, a terrible psychological disruption to the to uh, communities and and people. And uh, irrespective of who uh, whose administration we we see at the end of January, um, there's got to be more stimulus uh, to to help the economy uh, uh, move along. And I'm, I'm talking ex- exceptional fiscal stimulus, government spending, the way they. The way they did it uh, at the onset of the pandemic, as well as uh, you're going to have continued uh, uh, monetary stimulus from the Fed. They say they're going to keep doing that uh, at extraordinary levels, uh, uh, and until such time as as they see inflation starting to pick up and going going above two percent as they measure it, uh, they're trying to create inflation. They're, they're going to succeed. Right now, if you look at uh, the the money supply. The, the 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 narrowest measure M1, which is basically uh, cash and money in people's uh, checking accounts, um, just this last uh, last month was up uh, 51% year over year. That's a record. I've never seen anything. Unbelievable. And um, it's, uh, very strange things happening there as well because in the in the last week, um, you saw an extraordinary surge in M1. With money flowing out of the M M two, which are the savings accounts and such, uh, into M one, uh, people going to cash. And the last time you saw anything of that magnitude was uh, it was the, uh, the time of the terrorist attacks, nine eleven, back in two thousand one. Something's happening here. People are going to cash. They're not. They're, they're having problems. And it seems to be breaking wide open. So I'm, I think you're going to see some very unusual things happening in the uh, the, the, the next couple of months. Uh, but one factor, as, as signaled by what you're seeing with the employment numbers, is that uh, the headline economic activity is going to going to slow. It's going to take longer to recover, and um, the stimulus, the government stimulus. Um, as we saw last year, and it was that we only you only had one package, uh, but that was enough to push the uh, a total federal debt to a level against the GDP that's never been seen before, well above GDP, um, worse than we saw in World War II. And the, the higher the, the the level of the debt gets relative to the GDP, it means uh, the, the 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 lower the ability of the of the GDP to generate enough cash. Uh, to pay it off, and that, that's where you tend to get debt, debt downgrades. We did have uh, did have uh, one couple years back. Uh, uh, then a, a cautionary note from Fitch. I guess it was uh, uh, S and P that downgraded initially, and Fitch made some noises uh, end of last year. But that was all before 
what's it here? Uh, you don't have the ability to, uh, to to narrow the deficit much, if at all, at this point. Uh, we're effectively spending beyond control, but it's a it's a devil's choice. You, you need it to keep the economy up, but it also becomes highly inflationary. You're creating a you're just spending money, but you're not you're not offsetting it by taking money out of. Uh, of the population with with, with taxes, um, the Federal Reserve is creating money at a pace that has again never been seen before. And you put those two factors together, it will generate an inflation for you. Now, um, with that, you'll tend to see higher gold prices. We've had some of gold prices hit uh, record highs earlier in the year, and you've got all sorts of people playing games with gold. Uh, but I look at uh, holding physical gold as the ultimate hedge here in terms of uh, preserving the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar. Uh, it'll go up and down, uh, particularly as people play games in these uh, un- unusual markets. But over time, it will preserve the purchasing power of your dollar-denominated wealth. John, can I jump in there just a minute? Because you said something I want to expand on because it's really a, a big issue, I think. You're, you're forecasting that we're going to see um, – economic decline, or I think the word you used was collapse. At the same time, uh, the Fed is going to continue to be, you know, basically creating money. The government's going to be spending a lot of money. Um, that seems to, that, that whole situation, as much as stimulus is needed, doesn't that just accelerate the, the, the point at which we get hyperinflation? And, and if you agree with that, um, when are our listeners going to start to really notice this? Well, you'll you'll have a pretty good sense. Uh, you'll start to see uh, items disappearing from the shelves and all of a sudden sharp spike in in prices. I um, I used to uh, import a, a chainsaw from West Germany as a family business, and when I was a kid, I went over and worked at the factory there and uh, got to know a lot of the people there, and both young and old, and people who had lived through or their parents had lived through the uh, the hyperinflation in the Weimar Republic, um, and it was um, some of the stories there were were, were quite remarkable. Uh, the, the rate of inflation was so great that if you went into a restaurant, um, you'd negotiate and pay for your meal um, ahead of time because it would cost you more after the meal. You could buy uh, an expensive bottle of good wine. And uh, drink that, and in the morning the uh, the empty uh, glass bottle was worth more than the fine bottle of wine with the wine the night before. Um, I mean that gives you a sense of how rapidly it, it goes. But the when the when the hyperinflation first hit, the shelves got cleaned out. We had a little bit of that happening here, but we've got the excess money coming in, and at the same time you've got. Uh, unusual demand circumstances and tightened up supply circumstances. I mean, you look, for example, at the price of lumber. Uh, there you're seeing uh, uh, very high rates of inflation, like, like 8 9% year to year. Um, it's not hyperinflation, but it's a direct result of um, uh, part of what's, what, what's beginning to unfold here. And um, where I'd look first to see, I mean, you'll see signs of it in in, in, in different areas, meat is another area where we've had some distortions. But the problem here is, that is the excess money, and uh, 
where you, where you should see the first indication, believe it or not, is in the price of gold. Um, what I found over time, and I measure I, I measure inflation the way they they used to before the government started to gimmick it. Um, I don't actually measure it, but I, I adjust the government numbers for what they what they've taken out of inflation. You go back to uh, the, the the Nixon era when Nixon took us off the gold standard. At that point, the dollar and gold were basically tied together, and inflation and gold tended to move. The price of gold tended to move together. Things were reasonably stable. When we uh, abandoned the the gold backing of the dollar, we started to see a pickup in inflation. And by the early 1980s, inflation was picking up in a way that uh, uh, no one had really seen before in, in, in the today's government. And uh, they were getting a little nervous. And what they wanted to do was to uh, uh, reduce the uh, headline inflation. Uh, they weren't looking to bring the inflation under control, but they decided to change the way inflation was reported. So they they, they changed the reporting methodologies and uh, started knocking uh, meaningful uh, notches off the uh, off the annual inflation, for example. First big thing they did was they recast the way they uh, estimated uh, housing, housing costs for uh, individuals in the CPI. It used to include, among other, th- among other factors, the cost of buying a new house uh, or a new home. And the... Uh, what 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 they did was they they took that out as a major component of the inflation number. They they replaced it with what they made up and and, and created as and they called a homeowner's equivalent rent. The government uh, would determine what an average um, homeowner would pay himself to rent uh, his house from himself. So the the rent would be the would be the monthly uh, outlay and the inflation would be based on. On what the government estimated, the uh, homeowner would raise the rent on himself uh, month to month, so that um, I mean it was all gimmicked and guessed at and modeled. But the, the effect was, with that one change, they knocked uh, 1.4 uh, percentage point off the annual inflation rate in the CPI year after year after year. That's cumulative. And uh, you, you put together all the changes they've made, and there are all sorts of gimmicks that have been been used. It's up around uh, a little over seven percentage points that you have to add it back in to what they're reporting. And uh, the funny thing is that if you do that, and then re- restate the CPI as though it uh, uh, it was never changed, uh, the movement there basically matches the movement in the price of gold. Only the price of gold tends to lead it, and where uh, the amount of gold needed to buy a loaf of bread in ancient Rome, that same amount of gold would buy a loaf of bread today in the United States. Um, that is uh, uh, that, that that's held constant over time. So it's a store of wealth. It used to be money. Um, it still is money, and it's limited generally in its in its uh, in its supply, which keeps it relatively honest. So that so, people who have been investing in gold and look at gold as an investment tend to anticipate the inflation, and when that happens, they start buying it more. That's why we saw some 
spike in gold was as the uh, uh, the, the, the various stimulus uh, packages were, were put in place uh, earlier earlier in the year. John, I'm, 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 I want to pick this up in the next segment. The clock tells me here that we are uh, running out of time. My guest today is Mr. John Williams. His website is Shadow Government Statistics. The web address is shadowstats.com. I'll continue my conversation with John after these words. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and I'm chatting today with Mr. John Williams. Uh, John's website is Shadow Government Statistics. You can find it at shadowstats.com. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, John, you know, in the last segment, we were you, you were talking a bit about, um, you know, how the, the what the real inflation rate is and some of the uh, adjustments or, 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 or gimmicky adjustments, maybe I should say, that have been made to the way the inflation rate is, is actually calculated. So... Based upon your work, um, what would you estimate that the real inflation rate is, and then where ultimately might you see it going? Well, it's uh, right now. Uh, we're, we're looking at something in the uh, uh, range of nine uh, percent year to year. Uh, the government's reporting something around two percent year to year. That's that's been up and down a little bit with the. Uh, the uh, volatility in gasoline prices. The, the oil price war uh, earlier this year did a lot to knock uh, inflation out of, or to knock down the rising costs of gasoline and such. And uh, that's actually been a uh, something of a containment on the on the uh, consumer price index. Um, and it's uh, uh, as that uh, that basically has. Has uh, stabilized, and you're, you'll you'll start to see that notching higher. Um, as it gets higher, uh, it'll it'll get to a point that people will notice it and say, "Boy, you know, prices are really rising." And you get into hyperinflation again. It's uh, it's a circumstance where uh, the, the 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 increases in the price are so rapid that uh, again, you need to you want to buy something, you buy it. In the morning instead of the afternoon, because it'll uh, the the price will uh, will will have changed. It is um, the the protection there is to have your assets in something that will maintain value against inflation. Precious metals, gold and silver, do that. There are other factors as well, uh, or other elements. For example, in um, talking to uh, people who lived through the uh, Weimar Republican inflation in Germany back in, in the 20s. The, you had a uh, one thing that you could barter with. Effectively, you go you would go, you'd go to a barter economy. Um, aside from uh, gold and silver, were canned goods. People can always eat. Hmm. They need food. They'll eat food, and that'll tend to re- retain its value. And uh, I know one fellow whose father, um, you know, traded canned goods around and decided one day he's going to eat the uh, I think it was canned beans or something, opened the can of beans and it had uh, gone bad. 
So it really didn't retain its value, but as far as anyone was concerned in that can, it, it, it still had uh, it still was a consumable product. But it is the gold and silver are viewed um, as as basic uh, commodities as, as stores of wealth. And uh, if you get into a, a real hyperinflation, uh, the gold will tend to the gold is, of course, a lot more expensive than silver right now, um, and but they should still retain their basic ratio. So if you're looking to hold some physical gold and silver, and I would suggest physical gold and silver, you probably need to look at uh, something along the lines of uh, coins that are uh, minted by a, a sovereign mint, uh, so that... Um, Someone looks at a gold coin, they'll say, "Yep, okay, I, I recognize that," and it's it's got a it's got a given weight and a given fineness. You don't have to have it assayed. Um, a gold coin would be too much to trade against a uh, uh, you know like a, a can of uh, a can of beans. Um, but having some silver coins, like the um, old silver quarters and dimes that people still uh, trade bags of, um, that would that makes for a good small change, and 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 again in a uh, uh, a hard uh, uh, hard asset, the the, the silver, um, and that's that's where you you could trade uh, you know, silver silver coins for canned goods or something like that. John, do you have a do you have a favorite between gold and silver? Do you do you do you have an outlook that you you favor one over another? Um, in terms of the uh, basic. Uh, just to to, to preserve uh, wealth and basic uh, preservation of wealth, and you're t- you're talking they're generally pretty big uh, money. That um, your best bet is uh, is physical gold. It's much more compact. It's transportable. And again, I would look to hold it as opposed to uh, have it um, electronically. Things get really. I mean, we're we're talking times here that can get get very unusual politically and. Uh, in terms of economic stability, and it's a type of thing where you want to have the physical possession of those assets. You don't want to trust it to some uh, some institution that might go bankrupt, and you might not be able to get it. So, John, let me ask this: uh, when you when you just look at the, uh, the the broad economy, and you're forecasting a uh, an economic uh, decline or collapse, um, how much of that? coming economic decline would you attribute to existing economic conditions and uh, to what extent would you attribute this coming decline to the the lockdowns in response to the virus well we had a uh, before the uh, virus we actually were turning down in fact if you look at the uh, the, the the numbers the federal reserve was tightening uh, liquidity uh, uh, into uh, early uh, 20, 2019, the economy had started to to, to fall off. In the um, fourth quarter uh, of um, fourth quarter of uh, I think it was twenty twenty nineteen, real retail sales um, contracted quarter to quarter. Now that's the um, that's. That's the Christmas shopping season. Exactly. That, yeah. that, that's that, that. This 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 was before, well before, and and um, you, you saw that 
<clears throat> all, all sorts of slowdown in different industries. The, the government uh, not only plays with the uh, uh, inflation numbers, but with that they also play with the gross domestic product numbers. So the economy's not not quite as strong as uh, advertised. Um, the way that works is that uh, inflation growth is is adjusted. Excuse me, uh, economic growth usually is adjusted for uh, inflation, net, net of the growth in, in the inflation rate. Uh, so that when you look at the gross domestic product, which is the broadest measure they put out on a quarterly basis for the economic activity, they work out um, in, in what they call nominal terms before they adjust for inflation, and then they then they adjust uh, for inflation. Now, if you use too low to low an inflation rate to deflate, which is what they do, that tends to boost uh, economic growth, and it, it, it actually boosted by about two percent uh, per year. Which is about what the GDP has averaged. Now contend that since the Great Recession, we really have not had not had much actual growth in, in the economy. And, and where you can see some elements of that, consider, for example, uh, the, the way they define an economic recovery is that you um, you regain and then go above the the, uh, the the level of economic activity before it started to turn down. Um, industrial production is just barely above that prior. Uh, that prior high, but the manufacturing sector never has recovered uh, above its uh, pre-Great Recession peak. The same thing's true of the uh, construction industry. Um, there, there are a number of things that are not quite right in the headline numbers, um, and it's, uh, it, 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 it's it was it was a difficult time. It was beginning to slow down again, coming into the uh, into the virus problem. But the slowdown was being triggered by the Fed um, because it was trying to raise rates, trying to reverse a lot of the, what it had done to bail out the banking system uh, when the banking system collapsed and collapsed in 2007-2008. And I'll, I'll, I'll put the blame there right with the Fed because uh, uh, they could have um, <clears throat> they could have restructured the banking system, let it fail. Uh, and and uh, re restructured them to put the money into the economy. They didn't, and um, so we we've really had sort of a stagnant economy coming into the virus. Now the coronavirus, uh, no question, shut it and knocked it down. They're down thirty percent, uh, basically annualized rate of growth. Down uh, uh, at least ten percent more than that year to year. Um, so that that was that was all tied to the shut down from the, from the virus. Now it's coming back. Um, and um, if everything went well, you might be getting up, uh, you know, reasonably close to where you were by the end of next year or the year after. Um, but I think you're going to see things starting to turn down again for a variety of reasons. Um, the uh, Not the least of which is the damage that has been done by this. And as the as the uh, inflation starts to take off, um, that will also uh, uh, keep keep in mind that the inflation rate gets subtracted from the the the, the, the nominal growth, and that will uh, uh, that that'll actually tend to help feed the economic decline. It's um, it's a difficult circumstance, um, but um, it is. Uh, uh, what, what you saw in Germany, 
was a uh, hyperinflationary economic collapse that was uh, had all sorts of causes tied to the end of World War One and how, how things were settled there with France and <clears throat> what we have going here is a hyperinflation that will be driven by the uh, the money creation by the Fed and uh, the government spending. And that that's, that was a problem the Germans had. They didn't have any backing to their to their currency. They uh, but they they uh, they needed to spend money and they did. Um, so that you'll you'll see that inflation uh, picking up. Uh, you've already got. Uh, Serious damage done, and it's going to going to accelerate. I'd, I'd, I'd put the there are other factors that could have put us into a um, an economic collapse, but the the virus here was a proximal trigger, and its after effects in the way we're handling it, and the way the central bank will be handling it, uh, will um, will exacerbate it and and and, and push us further. Uh, further down the road into uh, economic trouble. Well, our guest today has been Mr. John Williams. John, the clock tells me we're going to have to leave it there. Um, check out John's website at shadowstats.com. John, always appreciate your insights and perspectives and, and all your hard work, and uh, appreciate you being on the show today and would love to have you back down the road. It would be my pleasure again. Thank you, Dennis, for having me. We will return after these words. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks again to Mr. John Williams for joining us on today's program. You know, as I talked about in the first segment and as I chatted with John, the Federal Reserve, which is the Central Bank of the United States, is engaging in money creation at levels never before seen. This is historic. And they're engaging in that level of money creation to fund government operating deficits, which are also at levels we've never seen before. For many, many years, China and Japan would buy U.S. government bonds. So the U.S. government would overspend, spending more money than they took in in the form of taxes. So they would need to borrow money from investors by issuing bonds, and China and Japan would stand up and say, yes, we'll buy them. Well, that seems to have come to an end. In the third quarter of this year, Japan purchased $15 billion of U.S. government debt, while China sold $13 billion. So there's a net sale, if you will, a net plus, as far as government debt accumulation of just $2 billion. In the meantime, the Federal Reserve accumulated $240 billion in U.S. Treasuries. And if you're wondering where the Fed got the money to buy those bonds, you probably can answer that question yourself. It simply created the money to do it. Now, the Fed is essentially backstopping the U.S. government bond market. That makes it an artificial market, and history teaches us that artificial markets always fail. And now there are many central banks around the world 
the counterparts of the Federal Reserve in different countries around the world who are now openly and publicly stating that the easy money policy is being pursued by really most world central banks, these easy money policies are soon going to have to come to an end. Now, as I've noted here on the program many times, when a situation is unsustainable, like this money creation situation, it's unsustainable. It means there's going to have to be a reset. And the reset will either be reactive, responding to what might be a currency collapse, or proactive, which would mean that hopefully some smart people get together ahead of time and say, prior to a currency collapse, and say, we don't want this outcome. Let's see what we can do to fix this problem now. Well, the Central Bank of Italy is giving some advice on its website. In the past week and a half, this is what the Central Bank of Italy wrote. And I'm quoting, Gold is an excellent hedge against adversity and high inflation. Gold cannot depreciate or be devalued. Gold is not an asset issued by a government or a central bank and so does not depend on the issuer's solvency. End quote. What does that mean? Well, the Central Bank of Italy is suggesting that holding central bank-issued fiat currency is not without risk. Perhaps even more notably, the central bank is suggesting that gold is a good way to hedge this risk. Now, starting last month, there's actually a central bank in the world that has begun to issue gold as a currency. I've been talking about the fact that I expect that this could be an outcome and it could be a favorable outcome. Now, granted, it's one central bank, but the central bank of Uzbekistan began to issue sealed gold bars with a QR code to allow for real-time verification so you know whether or not these gold bars are actually authentic. The central bank is looking to encourage the use of gold for storing wealth, and they also want to increase the circulation of gold as money. Now, the gold bars uh, are sealed into a credit or debit card-sized piece of cardboard or paper, and it's sealed with with a unique membrane that changes color when broken. So basically, if you can visualize a credit card, but instead of having a chip in your credit card, you have a piece of gold. And there's also a QR code on the card so that you can take your smartphone and make sure that it's the real stuff. Now, these gold bars are produced in different sizes, 5, 10, 20, and 50 grams. And as I said, they're all sealed in packages that are the approximate size of a credit or debit card. You can go buy these gold bars at any of 28 commercial banks in the country, and you can go sell it back to the bank even if the seal is broken. Now, Uzbekistan has 57% of its bank reserves also held in gold. Now, in my view, this is a potentially positive step. If other countries follow suit, it could be a proactive reset 
of a currency system. And I think we will see currencies evolve as crazy as that might sound now. Now, we talk about this in the December client newsletter titled Capitalizing on Uncertainty. If you would like to get a copy of that newsletter, you can get one and it will be sent to you absolutely free, uh, no strings attached. Just go to requestyourreport.com. We'd be glad to send you a copy of the report. Um, If you're a client, you'll be getting it automatically. But if you would like to request that report, again, just go to requestyourreport.com. Also, I want to remind you that the Your RLA app uh, is coming soon to the App Store. In the meantime, you can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and download the app. Once you have the app on your smartphone or you have the app on your computer, you'll have access to the podcast version of this radio program. You'll have access to our weekly webinar updates where... We talk about what's going on in the markets and what's going on in the economy and uh, give you some insights as to our thinking as to what's going on. And it also gives you uh, access to our weekly newsletter, Portfolio Watch. And that's through the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates app. And again, that's available at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Well, that's all the time I have for the program this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.